If you have your Bible, go ahead and open it to Mark chapter 1. We're going to look at that passage that Sharon just read for us. And uh, we're going to summarize, it's a long passage, we're going to summarize some of the significant events that happen and then zero in on the end of the passage when Jesus heals that leper. And I want to spend most of our time that we have remaining on that passage, some things there that we want to dig out. But here's how I want to start. Here's how I want to encourage, challenge you to think about this. There is a part of each one of us that bristles at someone having control over us. Right, that bristles at anyone who has authority a little bit. And I, I think that's partly our culture. Like last week, Mike Vogt was here and he talked about this, that American culture, it's a little bit independent. It's a little bit, hey, you know, we're going to do our own thing, make our own decisions, maybe more so than other cultures. But I think even more profoundly than that, it's something deep inside of us, part of our human nature. Right? We're sort of resistant to authority. See if you can complete this sentence for me. Power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts Absolutely. And isn't that true, actually? If you think about history, the history of the world, it doesn't take you very long to think of literally, you know, 10, 20, 30, 50 plus examples of people that had power, that had wealth, that had uh, um, fame, that had control and authority and used it for evil. In fact, that's typically what happens. That's why we have the governmental structure that we have today. And I'm thankful for the kind of governmental structure that says, no, we, we have a democratic republic because we know that power tends to corrupt. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. It is just true. And then as individuals, when anyone sort of tries to exert their authority over us, we, we just tend to kind of like buck up against that if we're honest, you know, and some of you more so than others. But uh, think about the last time when you got pulled over by a police officer. Right, that sense, that feeling that comes over you—it's you know, it's shame and guilt, but it's also just like, come on, I wasn't doing any worse than anyone else. I had um, not that exact experience, but I, I had an experience with authority not long ago when uh, I had to take my oldest daughter to school. Now she typically rides the bus, but this day she missed the bus, and so I took her to school. I had never dropped her off at the school before, right? She's a bus rider. I didn't know what to do. Did y'all know there's like 18,000 rules for dropping your kid off? I mean, and, and like these teachers, they're, they're hardcore about these rules, right? Now, and, and those of you that are teachers, it's for really good reasons, the safety of the kids and all. And I, I, get, I get all that. But this particular time, somehow I got turned around at the school and I dropped her off in the wrong place, okay? Apparently I was in the bus lane. That's like terrible, right? It's like a big no-no. But I didn't know, right? So I, I dropped her off. She got off. And I'm telling you, I had this teacher make a beeline for my car, and she was hot. I mean, she had this look on her face like, how dare you put your child's life in jeopardy, you know? And I, I got defensive. Now, here I am, a pastor. I tried to be really nice. And I, I said, ma'am, I am so sorry. This is the first time I've ever done this. I had no instruction. And she said, well, you should have known. You know, she kind of like, she kind of like got, you know, she just, she went off a little bit. And I was, I, by God's grace, I held it in. Because she was right, right? I was wrong, no question about it. But, but driving home, I, I was gripping the steering wheel like this, right? And I was just like, under my breath, I was like, I didn't know. You know, I, it was all, all this like, was coming out of me. And I thought about it later and I was like, look, this lady's doing her job. I was in the wrong. Why was I so angry at her? It's because deep down, I don't want anyone telling me what I can and can't do. And you're the same way. Now, here's what's so interesting about Jesus Christ. If he is who the Bible says he is, God in the flesh, our creator come as a human being 
then this man, Jesus, has all the authority in the universe. He created it all. He can do whatever he wants to. And actually, in our study of Mark, we've already seen his authority come out, right? His authority over nature. We've already talked about that. His authority over demons. We talked about that last week. His authority over people. It's all started to come out, and you started to realize this idea, this, that this is a major theme of the Gospels. This man, Jesus, if he is God, has authority. And as you think more about that, you start realizing this is the fundamental question for all people in their struggle with God. Right? And, and we all struggle with God. We don't think we do, but we struggle with God. The key fundamental problem is I don't want anyone telling me who I can be, what I can do, what I can't do. And if God is who he says he is, and Jesus is literally God, then he has full authority to dictate anything over my life. And I don't know that I'm comfortable with that. I think that's where a lot of agnostics and atheists sort of kind of just, just rooted it. It's even if they're unconscious of it. It's this idea of if God is real, then I have to obey anything and everything he says. I don't want to do that. I think for those of you that have been following Jesus your whole life, you still have this same fundamental struggle. In fact, for everybody in this room, regardless of where you're at in your relationship with God, here's one thing that's true. There's at least one area of your life that you struggle to allow him to have full authority over could be your finances, it could be your dreams for the future, it could be just an area of sin that you just can't ever seem to get over, it could be a relationship that just feels too precious to you, too important for you if you even open it up for the possibility that God might mess with this. You see, for all of us, there's at least one thing, there just is, it's part of our nature. Jesus comes and he says, I'm over it all. And he starts making these enormous authority claims and he starts backing them up with all these miracles and we have to deal with that. We have to answer this question like we talked about last week. Who do you say he is? So in the passage this morning, Jesus shows us a new area of authority that he has. Not only does he have authority over nature, which we've seen, not only does he have authority over demons we saw last week, Jesus has authority over disease. Jesus has authority to like change people's bodies according to this passage, according to this text. And I want to summarize this first part. But know this, this passage begins to answer for us the question of how does God use his power? And can we trust the way that God uses his authority over us? And can we come underneath that authority with humility and trust, knowing that he's not going to abuse his power as every other human being would, you see? So let me summarize the passage, and then I want to spend some time on, on the end part, on the leper. So we see early on, uh, Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. That's the first healing miracle that Mark tells us about. Peter's mother-in-law. Now, in my own little imagination, I have to wonder if, if, if Jesus kind of like, like went to Peter ahead of time and said, hey, man, I know this is your mother-in-law. Like, are you guys good? Like, are you okay if I raise her up right? Yeah. Okay, they didn't laugh at the first service of that either, except for a couple of you, so thanks for that. Uh, I've got a great relationship with my mother-in-law. Not true all, all the time. But he heals this mother-in-law. That's the first thing that happens. After he heals the mother-in-law, all the people of the town come around and they say, hey, we got something good. Like, we got a superhero in our town. And they start bringing them all their ailments. You know, we heard about that and, and like literally they're pressing in on him the whole city the text says shows up at this place and probably some of them are there for healing a bunch of them were there just to see a show the next thing that happens is Jesus is up late at night healing people and he sneaks away under cover of darkness just to go be with the Lord one-on-one -on -one. you know he's got to go be with his father and while he's with his father the disciples are like man where is he there's like 800 more people that want to see him they want to be healed where is he he's not here they go out 
They go outside the city. They find him there praying. And Peter's like, hey, man, they're looking for you. You got to come back. He's, they don't want you to leave. They're not ready for you to be done yet. The show's still going back there. And, and here's what Jesus says. He says, listen, we're going to go out because I've come here to preach, not just to Capernaum, I've come here to preach to all these surrounding cities. This begins a pattern of the good news of the gospel going out. We're still living that pattern out today. What we talked about with Bill, right? This was the vision. Hey, we're not just going to keep this in Brentwood. We're, we're, we're gonna, we, need, we need a congregation in Franklin. We need a congregation in Nashville, etc. When we go overseas, when we send people overseas, when we support those missionaries all across the globe, this is why we're doing this, because this passage starts a pattern of going out, taking this message out. Now, Jesus goes out to all the surrounding communities in the area. When he's walking around these surrounding communities, he encounters this man, this leper. And this is where I want to pick up the text, and we'll spend the rest of our time on this passage. So look with me, if you will, at verse 40. And a leper came to Jesus, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him and saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Now, a couple of things I want to I say about, about these verses, and then we'll finish the passage in a few minutes. Number one, you need to understand about leprosy. It wasn't just a physical disease. It was also a social, emotional disease that even had spiritual implications for these people. Now, what do I mean by this? How can a disease be social and emotional? And When you were a leper, and by the way, leprosy was, as far as we can understand in the ancient context, leprosy was sort of a, a category that covered all kinds of different skin diseases. But it was something that was obvious. It was something that was on your skin, so it was white oftentimes. Now, a certain type of leprosy that we know today that we've, we've studied, we understand that it deadens the pain uh, sensors. So then you begin to injure yourself and you begin losing fingers and you begin losing limbs and literally their body is like falling away from them. However, the society back then, they're not understanding much about medicine. They just thought these people must be cursed of God. So we're going to keep them away from us. We're going to declare that they're unclean. So the clean ones are going to be here in the synagogue, in the city, living together. The unclean ones, we're going to cast them out, and we're not going to be able to even be anything around them. They're going to have to fend for themselves. There was a law that you couldn't even touch someone that had been declared as a leper, someone that was marked, cursed by God, according to their understanding in this way. So literally there was a rule that not only could you not touch someone who was a leper, but you couldn't even stand under the same tree with the person. In other words, it's kind of this idea of if, if a shadow of a tree that a leper's standing under, if that same shadow falls on you, you're too close and you have to go get cleansed. Not only that, but lepers, when they would come into a new town or a new city or approach people on the road, they would have to call out by law, unclean, unclean. People would look around and say, leopard, leopard, you know, they'd, they'd keep their distance. No contact. Now, what kind of emotional impact do you think it had on these people? To be forced to live outside society, to not be able to enjoy the needed and necessary blessing of human touch. You know, studies have shown with babies if you don't hold them, if you don't touch them, if you don't cradle them, they'll never develop into a fully functioned human being. We need to be touched. 
And here was a group of people that were untouchable, a group of people that were unclean, a group of people that were assumed to be cursed of God. That's the context for Jesus healing. The reason I love this miracle so much, it's maybe my favorite healing miracle in the scripture, is because Jesus is demonstrating the holistic, multi-dimensional nature of his healing. He's not just helping people with diseases, you see. He's restoring them, in this case, back into community. This is what Jesus is doing. Now, you think about Jesus' healing miracles broadly, there's, there's really three main purposes that Jesus healed people. And I want to talk about these because it's important. We're going to see a lot of healing miracles in our study of Mark. So here's uh, reason number one that Jesus would heal people. He would heal people to authentic, authentic, excuse me, <laughs> authenticate his identity. And this is why all, he did all miracles to authenticate his identity. In other words, he wasn't just a rabbi. He wasn't just a teacher. He was God. And he was showing that. He was proving that through the miracles. Secondly, he healed people to embody and illustrate the core message of the kingdom. We talked about this a few weeks ago. We said, hey, Jesus' core message is the kingdom of God is at hand. And here he's saying, exhibit A. In the kingdom, there's no one who has disease because everyone is whole. You know, exhibit B in the kingdom. No one has demons. So you're going to cast them out in the kingdom. You see, this is what is coming. It's a preview of things to come. Right? He's embodying or, or he's sort of illustrating the kingdom. That's the second reason Jesus healed. But the third reason Jesus healed comes out in this passage about the leper we just read. Look again at verse 41. Moved with compassion. I think the third reason that Jesus heals is out of an overflow of love for people. It doesn't say with this leper that he was a righteous man. It doesn't say of this leper that like, you know, he was really upright and did all these things right and never sinned. It just says he's a leper who fell on his knees before Jesus and that kind of response moved Jesus with compassion, with love. And then what does Jesus do with that compassion? Yeah, he heals him, but he does, how does he heal him? He touches. He touches him. Now, you see, Jesus didn't have to touch him. Jesus could have healed him just by speaking. But instead, Jesus touches him because he knows that this disease wreaks havoc not just on the body, it wreaks havoc on the soul. And this man needs to know that he's not unclean. Jesus touches him. Now, up to this time, according to the law, if you touched an unclean person, they didn't become clean. You became unclean. And for the first time ever, as Jesus touches this unclean person, it's not the clean one that becomes unclean. It's the unclean one that becomes clean because of the touch of the righteous one. You see, Jesus restores him. And as we're about to see, he's going to send him back to the synagogue to be declared clean. So that this was this ritual they had to do where the rabbi would inspect someone. You can just imagine, they'd probably strip down just to their tunic. And the rabbi would have to say, okay, you're clean now. You can be brought back into society. You see how this worked? And Jesus is saying, you're going to go get that kind of uh, a declaration that you're clean so that you can live in the city, so that you can be hugged again, so that you can be cared for by your family, so you don't have to live way out in lonely places apart from everyone else. This is the kind of multi-dimensional, holistic healing that Jesus is bringing to this man. Now, every time Jesus exercises his power, his authority, 
It's to make things right. It's for the purpose of blessing. It's for the purpose of peace or the purpose of joy or for the purpose of healing. He doesn't abuse his power. His absolute power doesn't corrupt him because he's uncorruptible. He's the God-man, you see. And we start seeing this lived out over and over and over. Now, here's the thing about the healings that you have to understand before I move on with the text. Every time Jesus healed someone in his three or so year ministry on earth, you know, before the the crucifixion and the resurrection. Every time he healed someone, the healings always pointed to something beyond the healings themselves. What do I mean by that? Well, these people that Jesus healed were going to die at some point in time. In fact, in in every single case, including Lazarus, who was raised from the dead, right? These people at some point in time had some later illness or some later circumstance in their life that, that, that did their bodies in permanently, like death, right? Like they were going to die. Peter's mother-in-law, like this may have preserved her life for another year or two or 10 or 20, we don't know, but at some point in time she died. The leper, right? At some point in time he was going to die. It's in, a, in a sense, Jesus is just sort of like holding back the effects of disease, knowing that they're going to come back. And I have to wonder if some of these people that Jesus healed, if years later they're on their deathbed and they're praying for another healing, but, but here's the thing, if you'd been healed once, if you'd been healed by Jesus, by, by God himself touching you, and you're laying there in your deathbed, I've got to imagine for many of them, they would have had a lot less fear about what comes ahead. And here's why. They would have said, God healed me once, and therefore he proved that I can trust his intentions for me. He proved that he desires wholeness for me. He healed me once and I can trust him now whether he heals me in this moment or not. I can trust him for whatever lies ahead because I know how he used his authority over my life the first time is for my healing, not for my destruction. And I just imagine, I just imagine how that would have helped people as they faced death later in their lives. You see, God's goodness is not determined by whether or not he heals every disease. But the healing miracles of Jesus demonstrated God's compassion for us. The healing miracles of Jesus demonstrated God's good intentions. They demonstrated, look, this is how I will use my authority over you for your healing, not for your destruction. This is what Jesus is demonstrating. This is the pattern for how God uses power over us. Now, there's one more very interesting development in our text that I want to close with. Let's read starting in verse 43. And he, meaning Jesus, sternly warned him, the leper, and immediately sent him away. Now, what was he telling him? What was he warning him? Here it is in verse 44. And he said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Testimony to the priests. 45. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed out in unpopulated areas, and they were coming to him from everywhere. Now, there's a major pattern that just got broken in those verses. Up to this point in Mark, 
every single time Jesus commanded something, there was immediate obedience. So he commanded the fish to jump into the net. They jumped into the net. He commanded the disciples, hey, follow me. They followed him. He commanded the spirit, come out of this person and then be quiet. The spirit came out and was quiet. Now he commands this man, don't say anything to anyone. The man disobeys. This is the first time anyone has disobeyed Jesus' authority. What's going on here? This is actually starting a new pattern. Did you notice that this man, not only does he not obey Jesus, but he does the exact opposite. And at first you might be thinking, well, what's wrong with telling people about being healed? You know, how could he not tell people that he was healed? But listen, y'all, he disobeyed Jesus, the very one who just healed him, that had compassion on him and like poured out his love for him. He said, look, look, just don't, 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 don't share this with anyone. And he directly disobeyed the one that healed him. Now, don't think for a minute that Jesus did not have the power to impose his will over this man if he had chosen to. He could have closed his mouth just like he closed the mouths of the demons earlier in the passage. Don't say anything. Zip. And this guy would have walked around like, mm, 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 you know, it would have been like that scene from Bruce Almighty. You know, some of you guys remember that, that guy? That worked for like three of you, which is fine. Um, but, but listen, Jesus didn't choose to do that. He chose to allow this man to disobey. Jesus said this, the man did that. Jesus allowed it. Jesus did not allow the fish to have any choice. They had to jump into the nets. Jesus did not allow the demons to have any choice. They had to come out and be silent. But when it comes to the healing of the person, Jesus allows disobedience. Now, it gets even better, or worse, as it relates to Jesus, not only does Jesus allow this man to disobey, but Jesus has to bear the consequences of this man's disobedience. Did you catch what happens when this guy disobeys? He runs his mouth to such an extent that Jesus can no longer be in the city. Jesus has to be out. You see what Jesus has done? He has traded places with the leper. Now Jesus has to be outside the city apart from community. Now Jesus can't enter the city for a very different reason, but he still has to be out. In fact, if you're reading from the NIV translation, it, it, it has this beautiful little phrase. It's another way that you can translate this word. It says that, that Jesus was out in lonely places. Do you see this? This begins a pattern that will flow throughout the gospel of Mark and culminate at the cross. Jesus bears the consequences of our disobedience to his authority. Rather than forcing us to obey his will, he allows us in his sovereignty to choose disobedience as our wicked, evil hearts sometimes desire. And he says, I will pay for that for you. I will live outside the city because you did not obey me. I will go to the cross to bear the weight of your disobedience. This incident is a preview of what is to come. The mission of Jesus is to bear the consequences of our disobedience so we can be healed, so we can be restored, so that we can ultimately live in the city. Now, I want to go back to our hesitancy about authority, our fear over power. 
This is the final answer to the question, how will God use his power over me? Jesus is the answer. He came with all the power. He came with all the authority. He came with complete control. And instead of forcing people into line, making them obey his will, he uses his power to heal. And then when they disobey and they rebel against him, he says, I will bear that. I will pay for that so that you can be where I came from, so that you can live forever with the Father. This is why I have come, you see. This is the gospel. And because of that news, because of the good news of the gospel, you can trust his character. Like you can trust his intentions for you. When he asks you, when he asks you to do what you don't want to do, when he leads you somewhere you don't want to go, when he removes from your life something that you didn't want him to remove, when he does something to you or asks you to do something that you don't want to do or a place you don't want to go, you can begin to trust his character because you can look back and you say, he did this for me. He healed me once. I trust his intentions for me. You can bow the knee to this kind of authority. So here's how I want us to apply this passage. We've got just a couple of minutes left. And I'd like for you to think of one thing in your life that's hard for you to open your hands with to the full control and authority of God. And, and don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to say it, write it down, raise a hand. It's just, just, just in the own privacy of your own mind. I just want you to think of one thing. One thing that's a struggle for you to sort of just submit to God's control, submit to God's authority. Let me just give you some categories for those of you that are maybe having a hard time of, of what you should be thinking of. Uh, m- maybe it's just a sin in your life that you just can't give up. You just can't get over it. You just don't feel like you have the ability and the power to do as a habitual sin. Maybe it, for, for some of you in the room, many of you maybe, it's a past hurt. And you just can't, you're just not able to forgive. You know, there's, there's a party that even wants to, but you're not able to release the person that harmed you, that wounded you in that deep way. Uh, for some of you in the room, it, it may be something about your finances or your career. And you, you just, you, you know, I, I, God, I just can't be generous. I can't open my hands. I, I can't give because I don't know if I'll make it if I give. For some of you here, it could be a dream that you have for the future. You know, something maybe that even hasn't come true and you're afraid to let go of it. Because if you let go of that dream and you give it over to God, maybe God won't let it happen. Maybe God won't fulfill it. He won't bring it to be in your life. You can't let him have it. It's too precious. I want you just to have that one thing in mind. And the way that I want to close our service this morning is I just want to pray for you. I'm not going to ask you to do anything with that today. You know, you don't have to make a pledge, make a commitment. You don't have to sign a card, do anything. It's not about me. It's not about the church. It's just about you. It's about your freedom. It's about God's good intentions for your life. So if you bow your heads with me, I just want to pray for you. I want to pray right now. And Father, I, I'm speaking to you who knows the hearts of these men and women in this room. And the, you know, 200 or so people in this room, there's 200 different things that are on their minds right now. And so, Father, because they're not able to fully trust you in those areas of their lives, I would like to pray that you would give them the ability to. 
And Father, I would like to pray on their behalf as one of their pastors that you would help them to trust you. That they would look at that thing, whatever it is, and that they would look around them and that they would see a God who is with them that has good intentions for their life. That they would acknowledge that the way that you use your power, the way that you use your authority, although not always comfortable, is always for our good. And that the love of God that surpasses all understanding would begin to root itself in their heart and that they would be able to see the height and the depth and the width of that love so that they could trust you with this thing that they've not been able to trust you with up to this point. And Father, I pray that for some in this room, they would be moved, even emotionally moved, by this picture of Jesus trading places with this leper. And that they would understand that that's the kind of way that you're going to use your authority. That's the kind of way that you're going to use your power that I can trust this man, Jesus. And Father, I pray that for many in the room today would begin a slow loosening, a freeing up of things that would entangle and things that would enslave us, that we would taste and see that you are good in every area of our lives. It is by your power, your authority, and through the name of Jesus that we ask these things. Amen.